Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How are you doing? I'm good, Faisal. How about you? Are you getting geared up for tomorrow's Super Bowl? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've got actually uh, a little party we're going to go to and, um, yeah, see some friends and have a couple beers. What's the most exciting part of the Super Bowl for you? Is it the game, the halftime show, or the food? Food. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> dessert, buddy. Dessert. I thought you'd say that. And that's that's <laughs> an a, excuse. My wife will let me eat dessert. It's a big yeah, day. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. You can that's have right. you can have dessert because that's what <laughs> everybody has during Super Bowls. The dessert. <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna have a very interesting show today. We're gonna be talking about you know all this changes in interest rates. The yep. bond market's having a lot of attention. Um, the the bond market usually signals the stock market and the economy, mm -hmm. and so we're gonna talk to. Uh, you know, a, an expert on what's the bond market really saying? And we've had a lot of, um, I think, differences of opinions out there of what the bond market's saying and what's really going to happen. And I think, well, we need to kind of get some clarity on, are we going to have interest rate cuts? Are we going to go into a recession? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to answer those questions on the show today. Yeah, today it'll be a great show. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, about this week, my friend. You were uh, you were reporting uh, throughout the course this week, and there were some interesting developments. Another big week of earnings. We had some surprises uh, on the Canadian side, uh, like we did last week in the labor market stuff. So, what you know, what what was your sense? Sort of give us a sense of the big stories and. Let's let's park the jobs numbers for you and I to have a conversation about that because I found some interesting pieces out of that. But let's let's talk about this week in the market in general mm -hmm. and. Um, it had multiple personalities this week. Yeah. Companies whose earnings, revenue, and bottom line were going up were rewarded to some degree. If they had better future guidance, restructuring, job cut losses, you know, those types yeah. of things yeah. to kind of right-size their yeah. company. Got Protect rewarded, profit, right? Yeah. Got rewarded. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. This whole chat GPT AI just the amount of attention it got. And when companies make a blunder on their chat, you know, their AI function, the stock plummets, mm -hmm. this reminds me a lot of when the hype goes up for any one thing. Right. Well, if we're so worried about recession and people are not gonna spend money and there's not gonna be that much advertisement, there's not gonna be any revenue, does it matter if you've got a new function? Right. Where did all this hype come from? Right. So. We have one side of the personality of the market saying, ooh, be careful of earnings. Then you got the other side of the market saying, look at this. Let's 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 look take cool off. This is. Yeah. Let's take off with these, these AI mm. products. So yeah. there's a multiple personality. And so what that tells me is this market is not about an index. It's about the constituents within the market. And it's now getting more and more clear to me, week after week, that you just can't stick on the index and hope everything works out well. There's gonna be probably no movement or little movement in the net return of the market, but the constituents within there individually will have it. So my call so far for this year going forward, and the, the eye opener for me is we're, we're switching active management versus passive management. These index uh, or, or index hugging investments are gonna have a big challenge, at least for the foreseeable future because of this multiple personality of the market. Yeah, and, and remember what index, right? You, there's lots of different indexes, uh, S&P 500 versus all the others. So yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with you. And I like that that notion of the um, multiple personalities. And, and the bond market sort of helped with a bit of the schizophrenia there too, right? With 
uh, and we'll we'll talk more about that. We don't want to go into a ton of it right now, but some repricing going on, you know, based on expectations of what's going to happen with inflation and future future interest rates. So there's lots of moving. There are, companies are still beating their earnings estimates. They are coming down. They're beating it perhaps at a slower or, or by a, a narrower margin than you know historically. So you're seeing some impact, right, on on earnings. When the companies that have not met their expectations, although those expectations were lower, in aftermarket trading, the mm-hmm. stock gets plummeted. And then in the morning, not so bad. Not as, not, yeah, not as bad. Yeah. So it's a kind of like, a again, the multiple personality. They all run away. Right. And then they calm down overnight. I guess they're having some dessert at Super Bowl or something like you're doing. See? They calm it's down. They're civilized. They got the sugar in them. They're like, okay, we can come back to the table and kind of... Right put our attention to it. It's interesting what the market's doing this week. I want to switch gears on the, for the market to the job numbers in Canada. Yeah. Um, blockbuster change there, um, 10 times more in jobs than what was estimated. So now we have a 150,000 job increase for the month of January. Uh, here are some key things that I found very interesting about the data. Number one, their wage inflation is decelerating. So, how the amount that you have to pay for a worker is up, mm-hmm. but not as much as it was last month. Right. So that's a, that's an aha moment there. Most of the jobs were full time. Absenteeism. I've talked about this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Absenteeism is getting towards closer to seasonal levels, which means the hours worked were about a one percent increase, right. give or take. That's good for the economy. Mm-hmm. More people working, mm-hmm. more people participating in the labor market, which means they're going and looking for a job, tell them there's going to be an increase in economic activity. Mm-hmm. We may not have higher inflation, but we can still have you know, a decent economy moving. And I think this is giving us one data point right now, we'll have to wait for a few more, that we might be able to mitigate the recession. The soft landing scenario. I mean, that's what the U.S. data told us last week too, right? We had a very similar profile in the U.S. labor data: a surprising beat, a deceleration in wages, uh, in, sorry, wage inflation. Um, their unemployment rates getting quite low, so I'm, I'm sure that's going to be some concern for the, you know, the central bank. But it is a Goldilocks scenario. Very difficult to get into a material recession if everybody's got a job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and. What happened after the job numbers came out in the morning on Friday was that the interest, the, the expectation of interest rate increases by the Bank of Canada just went up. Mm-hmm. And so people are thinking, wait, 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 if everybody's still working, there's going to be higher inflation. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe more people are working, but they're not increasing on inflation. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of months the real data that comes out of it, and is this multiple personality of the market going to continue? Right. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I think people need to remember that these little data points, one in a silo position, will have reaction in the market that has multiple personalities. And so um, it's it's almost like dealing with, with, with an individual who one minute has uh, a feeling of things are going to be better, and then the next minute, have a feeling that things are going to be worse. So be prepared for that intraday volatility sure. and then the volatility going forward. I yeah, think that's yeah, yeah. And it's the uncertainty, right? Because 
and until we get uh, deeper into the year, right? We don't know where the, the where the central banks ultimately end up, and that uncertainty will create that sort of multiple personality trading on any given day or even in intraday, as you said. Um, the bond market is a very perplexing question. Why are you smiling? Well, I I mean, the bond market we know is full of really smart guys, so smart er smart smart investors that typically <laughs> give us some insights into the future. But there's a really interesting thing shaping up. In, in the bond market, um, that doesn't necessarily make sense to everybody. So, for, so those of you who are watching and listening will know that Dave is the big fan of the bond market. I'm the big fan <laughs> of the stock market. Uh, there are two things over the last 55 years that you get excited about, the bond market and the dessert bar. <laughs> My We're not talking about desserts. <laughs> We're talking about bonds. And that's why you have a big smile on your face. Yeah. And, that, and you're not the only one. There's a lot of people in the same in the fixed income industry that are very excited, happy yep. to be talking about bonds. Bonds are getting a lot more attention than they have in the last maybe 15 years. <laughs> and, and just think, yeah, that's right. It, this is a very different environment than we've seen in, in 15 years. And there's certainly some opportunity, but there are some, there's always some risks and some um, you know, things that we need to understand about what the bond market's telling us and any mispricing opportunities. So it's like the stock market in that respect. Here's what I'm gonna put on the, on the plate right now. We're gonna bring in our expert really quickly on this as well. I think the bond market is a lot smarter than the stock market. Mm -hmm. And the bond market gives you signals of what's going to happen in the economy and then what's going to happen in the stock market as well. So we're going to leave that right there because we're going to have a great discussion about the brains behind the, the fixed income world, what's That's coming right. in store for us uh, this year and possibly next year as well. And so we've got Brian DaCosta, founding partner and president of Algonquin Capital. We've been working with Brian and his team now for a while. Uh, in the fixed income world. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's great to be back. Can we maybe just start, Brian, very quickly um, with a bit of a recap of 2022? Because there were some very material changes that took place that affected the bond market. And I think that context coming into 2023 will be important to know. So tell us about what you were thinking uh, in the bond market at the start of 2022 and sort of how it progressed and the surprises that presented themselves throughout the course of that year. So I, I think... Uh, 2022 is a year that everyone who who's in fixed income would love to forget. So it's painful for me to walk through this, but let me let me do it. So so this time last year, what the bond market had uh, priced in or was expecting was central banks to raise rates, but kind of felt that rates would they would only need to go to about one and a half, somewhere between one and a half and two percent. And that would be enough to uh, nip inflation in the bud. Um, w our view was that at the time, last January, is we were telling clients, look, interest rate duration is, is really portfolio insurance. So that's the exposure to interest rates. We just feel that we felt that that kind of insurance wasn't needed in 2022 um, and would probably be expensive, right? So, it, and then I, and I would tell clients, I think there's a 30% chance the Bank of Canada needs to go to three and a half percent. So, you know, I thought there was a chance, but I have to admit, I was also caught quite off guard with how ex inflation really accelerated last year, well beyond anyone's forecasts. I mean, even further than what we thought was a reasonable risk assessment. Um, in order to put in perspective, both the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada thought inflation would be below 3% by the end of 2022. 
Uh, I think we hit eight and nine percent somewhere in the summer. And the only response that the central banks could do at that point was to realize we made a mistake. We, we should have been hiking in 2021 and they needed to really deliver significant rate hikes. Um, and we, you know, we've seen the Bank of Canada go to four and a half percent. The Fed is on its way to five percent. Um, and that meant all long term yields also had to adjust higher, um, resulting in, in double digit losses uh, across the board for, you know, for virtually everyone who's in the fixed income market. Um, and it was that surprise. I think if I, if I reflect what, what did people miss or what did we miss? Uh, we missed the power of fiscal stimulus. Um, while central banks were raising rates, uh, federal, you know, governments at all level, whether it's Canada, or the U S still were spending a lot. Um, and then the amount of pent up demand or the how good a shape the consumer was in um, coming out of COVID and just the demand for things like travel, uh, going out and, you know, for entertainment um, in a market in a, in a, in a, in a, at a time when there just did not, does not seem to be enough workers to fill the, all of the jobs. And that's really what I think everyone missed um, in terms of how 2022 played out. When you look at um, why Dave likes the bond market and the and the uh, dessert bar, because on the dessert bar, there's lots of choices. And same with the bond market, you have a lot of choice out there. And if we go back into 2022, um, what were some of the choices that were out there that would have protected uh, investors? And what were some of the biggest risks when it comes to uh, like the high calorie diet that you have at the, buff at, the the, at the buffet, Dave? What was the high calorie issues in the in the fixed income world as well, so I will also say, Dave, I love uh, I love the fact that you love dessert because uh, <laughs> sugar is my kryptonite, and uh, as my wife reminds me, there's more to life than just talking about bonds. Uh, I'm, I'm always perplexed when she says that. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so I think you're crazy. <laughs> so you might be my new favorite person in the planet. Um, so, so I think last year, really what turned out to be the, the, the most painful part was people who owned long maturity bonds. Because as interest rates go higher, bond prices fall. And the, the longer the, like, so uh, the, the, price, the, the, the drop in price for a 30-year bond will be much larger than the drop in price of a two-year bond. And so we saw, I mean, I haven't seen this, you know, I started trading in 1993 and I don't think I've seen losses of this magnitude in the bond market because we had 30 year government bonds that were priced at $110 in January of 2022, trading below $80 at the end of, uh, at one point, not at the end, but in the middle of 2022. So we're talking about a 30% drop in the value of a government bond. Um, and that was just purely from interest rates. So, so being in long maturity product was especially painful. Um, the other area of the market that experienced some pain uh, or some disappointment was actually in the corporate bond market where, uh, you know, the moment central banks started to raise rates aggressively, 
it's natural for everyone to go, hey, wait a minute, if we're going to have a recession, or if central banks raising rates could cause a recession, surely some corporate borrowers are going to enter into a period of stress. There may be credit downgrades. There may even be defaults. So the value of corporate bonds also had to erode a bit more than just what would be explained by the increase in interest rates. Um, and so I, I would say that, you know, it, it, it was almost impossible to hide last year, but the people that were in the shorter maturity, so two-year uh, two and under sort of bond funds or bond products, you know, they lost three or 4% last year as opposed to 10, 11, 12, 13%. Brian, I want to start uh, this segment. Uh, we, we had a good review of 2022 and some of the uh, some of the unexpected events that took place. We entered 2023 in a place that I would say in, in with interest rates, as an example, we haven't seen in 15 years. Now, there's some opportunities and there's some risks in this particular environment. Uh, but let me let me just start with where you think we are in the rate hiking cycle. The Bank of Canada is on a conditional pause. Uh, on Friday, we had some very strong jobs numbers in Canada. The uh, U.S. isn't quite done yet. Give us a sense of where we are from a central bank perspective in the rate hikes. So you're right, Dave. The, um, the Bank of Canada did come out uh, at the last meeting in, in January and say, hey, we've raised rates to 4.5%, but we're pausing here and, and we, think, we think we're finished. Today's job number was just an absolute blowout. 150,000 jobs created. Uh, so, you know, 20, uh, I think it's 10 times more than what was expected. So it does call into question whether the Bank of Canada um, will need to hike again. I, I think the reality is they'll probably be patient and sit on this. They're, they're, um, and the reason is that we know that monetary policy or higher interest rates take time to have an impact. And, and, and the reason is, um, you know, for folks with a variable rate mortgage, they're feeling higher interest rates already. But if you had a fixed rate mortgage, you're not going to feel that pain, you know, as much pain until your renewal. And the way I think about it, about 20% of mortgages, because most people do a five-year mortgage, are uh, come due every year. So we still have a big chunk of the, you know, if interest rates started going up just over, a, uh, just less than a year ago. So I would argue we still have 80% of, of home, of fixed rate mortgages that haven't reset yet. And so the bank knows that. And so they'll be thinking, well, as we go through the balance of this year, another 20% of mortgages will reset and, and much higher interest rates. And, and so we, they, they think there will be a dampening demand. Um, and so I think they're going to be, I think the bar to raise rates is more than just one number. It's really going to be about inflation. If, if inflation is not falling, because um, they expect it to fall pretty quickly um, over the next month or two, then I think we will see another 25 base point rate hike. What about in the United States? We're getting close to the end there. Yeah, I think uh, we are. Uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, Chairman Powell spoke last week after the, again, blowout numbers in the U.S. job market, you know, 500,000 jobs created. Um, and he had every opportunity to warn people that, hey, you know, we thought we were going to go to just over 5%, you know, before that number. 
he had every opportunity to warn people to say, look, you know what, I think it's going to have to be more. And he chose not to. So I think it's the same story with the Federal Reserve. They still have uh, at least one 25 base point hike. I, I think it's likely to be two um, to go. Um, but again, they, they know, you know, they'll be watching to see over time because they, they, they're still, they still feel that there's more uh, drag from higher interest rates to come as we'll see it play out over the summer and into the fall. So they don't want to over tighten. One of the biggest indicators of a recession is an inverted yield curve in the bond market. That's when shorter term interest rates are higher than longer term interest rates. Um, we are inverted. Um, statistically speaking, it's pretty accurate to, de to determine a recession based on an inverted yield curve. In your opinion, are we headed for a recession in Canada and the United States? Uh, we, so in my view, we are headed for a real slowdown, without a doubt. You know, whether technically it's going to be called a recession, I'll leave that up to the, the various agencies that make that assessment. But, you know, we are going to, I think, for it's going to feel sluggish. We are definitely going into a sluggish economy. Um, now, we do have a still a robust demand for labor. And so, you, you know, if, if we if we look at previous uh, recessions and you and you ignore things like 2008 and March 2020, when we had you know double digit declines in, in economic output, a lot of other recessions would have been GDP contracting by three or four percentage points. I think here what we're looking at is a very shallow decline. Like, you know, the, most of the central banks are predicting GDP of zero, but just given the error in forecasting, that's the same as minus one or plus one. Um, you know, that's the same as zero, really. But I think what will happen is you're, you're likely going to see that play out through the summer and into the fall. Um, but I'm not, I don't think we're going to have the kind of recessions that we've seen in the last 20 years where we had catastrophic job losses, where, you know, the unemployment rate spiked up like in 08 or, or 2020, two, three percentage points. Pro, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we went up half a percent to 1%, um, which you could almost argue is, you know, balancing out. The marketplace as opposed to having the job market too tight uh, anyway, from, from an inflation perspective. Dave, you and I have had many economists on this show. We've had <clears throat> many chief investment officers and portfolio managers on this show. They're all saying one thing in common, that the bond market has got it wrong. Now, you usually get upset when people say the bond market's wrong. So I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you for this one. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Okay. So, Brian, knowing that there's a lot of consensus out there, at least on this show, the people who have attended this show have said the bond market's got it wrong. There is not going to be an interest rate cut this year. What's your opinion and thoughts behind the interest rate cut that's being forecasted by many? So, uh, you know what? I, 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 I've often heard uh, people say that, you know, the bond, the people in the bond, you know, the bond market gets it right. Having been in the bond market for 30 years, I would I would push back on that and say there are times the bond market gets it awfully wrong. 2022, January 2022 is a is you know a prime example of the bond market completely missing the ball. Um, yeah, I would you know my message to folks who you know we we get a lot of calls from clients who 
are you know saying to me, hey, this is a year we think fixed income is going to do well. I'm uh, I'm just piling into the bond market, and and our message is, you know, it's like James Bond. Everyone has their favorite bond, and my line is, look, you know, all you know, bonds are good, but some are better than others, and so I think you have to be thoughtful because. When Canadian 10-year yields were 2.7%, which they were on Thursday last week, you have to ask yourself, okay, that's 2.7%. The overnight rate is 4.5%. If I'm buying a 10-year bond looking for a price increase because interest rates are going down, I think you're going to be, you know, my, 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 my view is that you're going to be sadly disappointed with that because... It, the bar to get in, you know, what, what what's going to make a 10-year yield go from 2.7 to even 2.5 is the overnight rate has to go to 2%. And that's a bold call, right? So so I felt that the bond market was really stretched. And in fact, we were actually using that opportunity to sell our 10-year bonds um, because we just didn't see much value in it. And And I think what's happening right now is... The bond market is what is 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 moving from over enthusiasm in terms of rate cuts to pessimism, and overall, I think they gen they have it generally right, which is inflation's not going to be six percent forever. Um, we're likely falling. I think I do think we're falling. Um, it, what's happening is. We're, the debate is on about whether it's going to two percent really quickly, or are we going to get stuck at three to three and a half? And 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 that that's where the real debate is in the bond market. And you'll see it in the waxing and waning in the in terms of how inverted the yield curve. So, as an example, after today's payroll a job number in Canada, we've seen all yields rise higher because people are being forced to really rethink. Yeah, what are the odds that the Bank of Canada can cut in July? I mean. I thought it was zero last week, to be honest with you. Now it's, you know, other people are reaching that conclusion. But to be frank, if we get a soft, uh, a lower than expected inflation number, I think the bond market will pile back into that bet. And so uh, I will say that, you know, broadly speaking, I think the bond market has generally it right. But like like any other market, people can get over enthusiastic and things can get expensive in the bond market. So... Uh, I, and, I, and I think that's where we're being cautious. Yeah, that's fair comment. Well, we can talk about bonds <clears throat> and dessert all day long, I guess, Dave, but we have to go to our commercial break. Uh, Brian, I want to thank you for joining us today with all that great insight. Thank you very much, and uh, everyone have a great day. Okay, we've been joined by Brian DeCosta, founding partner and president of Algonquin Capital. Faisal, we, you know, we were talking before the show about um, certain circumstances, and the way we brought this segment in is talking about gifting. We have lots of uh, people that are uh, in retirement, approaching retirement, helping their kids. Mm -hmm. We're helping people close children, to them. Or family members. Yeah, yeah, people close to them. And um, it doesn't always work out the way that it's intended or expected. And we had some, uh, over the years, we had lots of instances, but um, I think it's worth talking a little bit about the idea of helping and how it can go wrong, right? We can have good intentions, and it can go horribly wrong. And it can happen for a number of different reasons. But there was an interesting case this week, that we, uh, this past week that we came across. Let's maybe just talk a little bit about this idea of helping kids and, and, and pitfalls to look out for. You, you know, with housing prices, affordability, um, 
job losses, lack of wage growth, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, interest rates going up, getting into a home or owning a home is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the the generation that's going, it's, it's the first time home buyers um, are finding it more challenging regardless of what city mm-hmm. you're in. And so parents at some point feel like they need to help out or participate in that journey. And so many parents um, actually feel good about helping their children mm-hmm. financially when it comes to buying their home. Now, some give it as a gift. Some give it as a loan. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be an interesting situation when you either give a gift or a loan and it doesn't go according to plan. Now, why wouldn't it go to plan? Like, what can happen? So, let me give you an example of, of, a, of a story that we've had this week. Um, this couple lent money to their chi- their adult child um, and their their in-law. And they went to go and purchase this house. And throughout the process, this <clears throat> couple, the adult child and their spouse, decided to part ways. Right. And now there's a loan outstanding. This money that was that was lent out to the these two to purchase a home is up in all this conflict. And at the same time, interest rates are much higher. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a financial burden that's been put on the, the adult child, not the spouse, who's because they're, they're separated, but on the adult child. And because there's other financial commitments with a, with a marital, marital breakdown, that person can't afford the interest payments that have gone up. Right. So now all the pressure goes back. To mom and dad. To mom and dad. And it's not the feeling of not being able to help or that they did help. That's not the problem. The, the circumstances of how this is all going to get mm-hmm. figured out, the uncertainty of that, but also this is going to have a big impact on their retirement if it cannot be paid back. Right. And anybody who knows anybody who's gone through a matrimonial breakdown, it can take years to sort out. Right. In those years, this couple's going through retirement. Right. And they've got these costs. And they borrowed this money on their own name mm-hmm. and gave it to their adult child. Right. So legally, they have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing in writing with that, that money that they lent out. Yep. Now they're in a financial conundrum. They're in a situation where this could ruin their retirement. Certainly adding anxiety. Isn't it was it? a substantial amount of money. Yep. It wasn't like a $5,000 loan. That's right. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars here. Yeah. Now all the pressure's on the parents and they're trying to do everything they can to figure this out. So this is where we have to kind of figure out when you decide that you want to help your adult child. I think one thing that we need to understand is what's the intent and what's the what if something goes wrong. Gifting in your lifetime the advantage of it is you get to see it in action, you get right? To That's what's it. When we talk to people about it, I would like to give something today while I'm alive, not wait till I'm gone, because then I can see the kids experience it. But you, you, you used one word that I think I want to challenge on. Mm. You used the word gifting. Mm. Now, when I get you a gift, when is you, that? You owe me for my birthday still. Well, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> 
I'll get that Tim Hortons gift <laughs> card right, for yeah, you. Good. Okay, so I'll get you that Tim Hortons gift yeah, card for your birthday. Yeah, thanks. It has $4 on it, so mm-hmm. you can barely get a drink. you got to pay your own money, too, by the way. <laughs> but on that gift card, it's a gift. Do I expect anything, that, what you do with that gift card, mm-hmm. if you bought a donut, coffee, you didn't even use it at all, okay. it's a gift. That's right. But if I lent you money, mm-hmm. and you're saying, I, I need help, Faisal, I'm going to lend you some money, and you go out and you start spending money like like you're not in control. Yep. Well, that would kind of bother me. Right. So when parents are deciding to provide financial capital to their, I'm using these words specifically, mm-hmm. to their adult child, first, is it a gift or is it a loan? Right. And if it's a gift, what's the terms of that gift, if there is any? Well, and that's an interesting one. The conditions of the gift are often not thought about, right? We just feel good as parents helping them out. And we've had many instances of this, forget about the complicated one you just talked about, where I'm giving money to uh, the kids, and the expectation is the kids are going to go pay down the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They buy a fancy car. Mm-hmm. Or they go on a big trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, mom and dad are not happy about that, right? I could have spent that money on myself going on a... So I think you're right. Define what it is, and if it is a gift, <laughs> does that gift have terms and conditions attached to it? If it's not a gift, but it's a loan, mm-hmm. let me help you out. I'll borrow the money because I can get a better interest rate than you can, or right. you can't qualify for a mortgage <clears throat> daughter or son. I, I'm going to do it for you, so I'll use my line of credit, right. or I'll get a mortgage right. or whatever. Now right. all the obligation is on me legally. I provide that money to you, and you go out and you you do your thing. Is it a loan? And if it's a loan, if it's not in writing, right. it, is, it is amazing how many problems come up with that. I'm not here to say you should or should not give money to your adult child. Right. That's your own value you system. Bet. What I am here to say is, if you say it, you'll forget it, but if you write it, you'll regret it. Mm-hmm. And people who just say, here's the money, but here is what I want you to do with it, or they forget the conversation. Right. But if it's in writing, you'll regret when you go against that, what was in the writing. Right. And I think that's what we can take away from this. First and foremost, does any of this money you're gifting or, or lending yeah. impact your own financial situation? Right. First, first decision, right? That's the first thing you should look at. Piece of analysis. And most parents don't always do that because they're parents. That's yeah, emotional. Yes, exactly. If I evaluated my cost of capital every time I paid for my two kids, my Lord, mm-hmm. yep. I'd have anxiety. So let me just write it I chart. write all mine down so they know. I remind them weekly how yeah, much because, they owe me. Yeah, this is what. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Vita Luca. This is bad. This is bad. You're going to get an invoice when you turn 18. It's over. Anyways, okay. So, so there's, there's at least you wrote it down. Okay, but, but there's need to be some terms and conditions for an adult child. Yeah. I think there needs to be either a gift or a loan. So let's write these things down. Let's know what the exit clause is. In both scenarios. Right. And I think parents forget about this. What if they don't follow the terms? Right. What's the exit clause? And you know what ends up happening? It hurts the family. There's a sour taste in the family. Well, that's exactly what it you're may, trying to avoid, right? It may break up the family. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we want to avoid that. Yeah. It makes that experiences in retirement, like what you had your vision, maybe you want to share it with your family. Yeah. It's like all things, right? When you think about the idea of, of, of a gift, 
whether it's in terms of a loan or what, you're just trying to help out. And it's, it's fun, it's exciting. But the unintended consequences of missing some of these steps along the way is what leads to this notion of a betrayal or, or, or potentially putting at risk uh, retirement or the lifestyle that you know mom and dad can lead because of some adverse financial condition that they didn't anticipate, right? So we start with this good idea and this really positive experience we want to have, and it doesn't necessarily end that way. The hardest know. part is actually talking about your expectations. <clears throat> right. And that's the hardest part. But you need to do that in all parts of life, in your retirement plan, yep. and when you're providing money or capital to your family members. We're going to talk about how to protect your retirement, how to make sure you can do the things you want to do in your retirement at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, February 21st at the Carriage House Inn. Make sure you register by going to morethanmoneyradio.com. On behalf of Faisal, myself, Dave, the entire Popwatch Carmelli advisory team, I want to thank you for joining us on another edition of More Than Money on QR Calgary. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.